Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this time of worship, and a special welcome to our guest preacher today, the Reverend Dr. John Huffman, formerly retired from St. Andrews. So welcome to both of you. A couple of announcements. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And as such, uh, we will be receiving the One Great Hour of Sharing offering, and you'll find information on that in your bulletin. So that is next Sunday. Also, it's the first Sunday of the month, so we will be having our first Sunday luncheon. And this one will focus on everybody's hobbies, collections, things that are them. So if you have not signed up and you would like a table to show off maybe uh, craft items, collectible items, whatever things that make you who you are, uh, talk to Nora and she will see to it that you have a table. So as we come now to call ourselves to worship, I would like to read just a segment of Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol God, all you peoples. For great is God's steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. God unchanging, we are assured of your steadfast love and continuing attention. We come here with grateful hearts to meet you, to worship you, and adore you. Open our eyes that we may see that you are not far from any of us. Hear our prayers, our confessions, our petitions, our thanksgivings, and our intercessions. Through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now would you please stand, and we will be singing that wonderful old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
long time to stand. So. We're going to worship, taking you, uh, taking you to the islands this morning. Anyone ever been to an island? Yeah? I see some hands. This is an old one we used to do back in the, uh, the early 2000s. It is the cry of my heart to follow you. It is the cry of my heart to be close to you. It is the cry of my heart to follow all of the days of my life. Let's do that again. It is the cry of my heart to follow you. It is the cry of my heart to be close to you. It is the cry of my heart to follow all of the days of my life. Teach me your holy ways, O oh Lord, so I can walk in your truth. Teach me your holy ways, O oh Lord, and make devoted to you. Oh, oh, it is the cry of my heart to follow you. It is the cry of my heart to be close to you. It is the cry of my heart to follow all of the days of my life. Teach me my eyes so I can see the wonderful things that you do. Open my eyes more and more and make me wholly devoted to you. Oh,
morning. Thank you to those who have donated for um, the Easter egg hunt. And if anybody else wants to donate, we're still accepting eggs or fillers or candy up until next Sunday. But um, in the children's ministry, we've been talking about the golden rule. So I thought I would talk a little bit about that this morning with you. That can be found in Matthew chapter 7. If you want to read along, or I'll just read it out loud. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given. Let me change the version. That is the very... Okay, um, there we go. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. I'm sorry. The golden rule is Matthew 7, 12. That did not sound right, did it? (laughs) I'm sorry. Still good words, amen. (laughs) So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and The way is hard and leads to life, and those who find it are few. So in children's ministry, we have broken it down a little bit, and it's a great reminder for them and for us, especially in this day and age, in this topsy-turvy world, right? Um, Social media alone um, is a scary place for anybody, um, and we have a lot of bullying going on there. We We bully each other face-to-face as well. Um, Even within our own homes, there's been a lot of talk of that over the years recently, of people having a hard time coming together for holidays, um, friendships. And so we've just been talking about in children's ministry how important it is to remember always, always, always treat others how you yourself want to be treated. And it is so easy for us to forget to be kind, nice, and loving to one another um, and to not forgive. And we want to make sure that we don't continue to do that um, and just not continue to do that. But though how we want to be treated, we, have, um, we would have kids give examples, and one gives examples of maybe if he's getting bullied at school, and so we'll talk through ways we can deal with that. And um, one of the things is even if you are the one being bullied, you don't want to just necessarily attack the bully as a child or as an adult because you don't like being bullied, you don't like being punched or having verbal assault, so you don't want to hurl those same things at other people. And that's just going to continue the cycle. So the golden rule is what we've been working on. And then, of course, the other side of that is um, forgiveness. So that would be part two in children's ministry and children next children's sermon is forgiveness. Okay? Thank you. can be excused. God sent Jesus to heal our wounds, to teach us wisdom, and to show us mercy. Jesus said, it is not for the healthy that I come, but for the sick. I come not to call the upright, but the sinner 
In our time of confession, we look to Jesus for healing, for wholeness, for forgiveness. Pray with me. O God of justice and righteousness, have mercy on us as we confess our sin. We know you have gifted us with life, with bountiful blessings, and with salvation through Jesus Christ. You satisfy all our needs. We believe that everything we are and everything that we have comes from you. But we confess that there are many times when we live as if we do not really believe that. We give of ourselves and what we have grudgingly, or we simply give to you what is left over. We are often not satisfied with what we have. We let our own desires for pleasure overshadow the needs all around us, needs of hurting people in a hurting world. Forgive us, we pray. Help us to be more open and more giving that others may know of you and your love. We are not worthy to ask your forgiveness except through Jesus Christ, who pardoned the thief on the cross and forgave those who put him to death. Amen. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therein lies our assurance of pardon. We are forgiven.
privilege to be with you today. I have memories going all the way back to when Ann and I first got married, just before we went back from my final year at the Princeton Seminary. Uh, we were serving out in Palmdale and brought a work crew down to St. John's Compton, where Bruce Curley, your pastor for many years, uh, was pastoring then. And uh, think through the years that have gone on, 59 years for us now of marriage, and to see the pastors have come here, of course, close to Tim McCalmont, and uh, now to see Jason and Amy and others of you and some of you familiar faces in the congregation here. It's a joy to be here. This is a little bit off script, but um, your opening hymn was Great as Thy Faithfulness, and some years ago, your hymnal, uh, turn, if you will, in your hymnal to page uh, uh, item 582, if you got one there, because um, many of us take great comfort, uh, page 582, in the words of Great Is Thy Faithfulness, and hopefully they'll be sung at my memorial service, where this is one of my favorite hymns. I'm not suggesting that memorial service will be in the next few days by any chance, but uh, <laughs> when the day comes, I hope we'll sing it. But it's such a hopeful song, and it ties with our message of the morning, the will of God. The will of God is not always that we are in non-turbulent times, uh, devoid of difficulties. In fact, uh, the words for great of thy faithfulness come straight out of the book of Lamentations and Jeremiah's hope. Jerusalem had been devastated by Nebuchadnezzar. This is back in about 587 B.C. He was boxed in with gloom, a proud city destroyed, friends taken captive, once beautiful people left rotting in the streets, infants with parched tongues cleaving to roofs of their mouths, some so hungry they turned to cannibalism, and he penned these lamentations. But then in his Easter Eve, as we come into Easter here, of the human soul when all is lost, Jeremiah senses hope within hopelessness. This soul, weighed down by God's judgment, springs forth with a confidence in the Lord's uncomparable mercy. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Praise God for such hope. Those words from Lamentations 3, 21 through 22. Totally off script. I may have nothing to say in the message this morning, at least, hopefully, that will be helpful from God's Word as a reminder. But today we're looking to God's Word. And uh, on the screen in front of you, you will have the Word of God as I read it. Um, I could give, I looked up a few days ago, how many times the will of God or wisdom is mentioned in the Bible. And it's 417 times in the New International Bible. And so we could spend a, a day of our time just reading those passages. So I'm not going to go back and read all those passages, but we will read here from James. Because um, in my pastoral ministry, I found one of the biggest questions that come in the life of a pastor uh, from people saying, can I really know the will of God? A genuine desire to know the will of God. And James addresses that issue in these words. He writes in James uh, chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes 
in the dispersion, greetings, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you is what? Lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, for the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Can I really know the will of God? Who to marry? How to deal with a difficult child? The question of what job to take? The concern for care for parents who are elderly? Surviving in a marriage that has gone south in many ways? How can I know the will of God? Can I really know the will of God? Well, I think you know what answer I'm going to give from God's word because you would, if I said, no, you can't, you'd say, wait a second, what's this all about this morning? But also I have to admit that if I were to announce the topic, how to do the will of God, there is not quite as much interest in that as the question, can I know the will of God? Because we're always looking for something new, aren't we? We're always looking for that that's moving into the future. The idea of just being where we are in the present is a difficult thing for us. Yes, we can know the will of God. But there's a progression in this as we look at this passage And as we see the will of God in our lives, this is not a health and welfare prosperity gospel. We see it in what we read from the book uh, and the hymnal and the comments about Jeremiah and his lamentation. And there he's claiming the faithfulness of God and the wonder of God in the most absolute difficult of times. And James introduces this topic in the opening verses by saying, the and brothers and sisters, whoever face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have a full effect. We're not saying the will of God is going to be something that is easy and absolves us of difficulty in life, although I'd have to say in my own life, uh, as I discover the will of God, I found his ways are better than my ways. And we're going to explore that this morning. The progression of this is the claim to be able to know the will of God is only available to one who is God's child. If one comes and dabbles in the Christian faith only to get the goodies, that's not what this is talking about. And there are people who simply turn to the church or turn to God in difficult times to get 
something, and then they're off on their own. And that doesn't mean God isn't there for them in that time. But God wants to be their friend through all of life, not just in the difficult moment when one reaches forth to him. But this is for people who, number one, believe there's a God, and also believe that this God created us in his image to live full, meaningful lives, and acknowledge the fact that something's gone wrong, and it's gone wrong in the life of every one of us and all humanity. And God has intervened in the person and work of Jesus Christ that we celebrate this in Holy Week. And he came, and he went to the cross for us, and rose again for us in victory over sin and death, and ascended into heaven, and lives there at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. And we have the presence of the Holy Spirit available to us. In a way, this is sort of a brief statement of the Apostles' Creed, is it not? The condensed essence of the Christian faith. This is the starting point for knowing the will of God, to be starting out with God with these presuppositions. Now, I've discovered through the years that um, there are several kinds of decisions uh, that we need the will of God on. Uh, One I would call the clear-cut decisions. Uh, The clear-cut decisions uh, would uh, boil down to... uh, um, really two types of things, Uh, and that would be um, uh, uh, what does the Bible say clearly to do, and what does the Bible say clearly not to do? Uh, The Bible says clearly, uh, uh, and as I read the Bible, uh, it's important to realize there's an awful lot in the Bible, but there are a lot of teachings, and we need to be people of the book who understand that when the Bible says do, we should do. And when the Bible says don't, we shouldn't do. Um, I was counseling primarily a couple one time, and uh, premarital counseling, and they were in Bible school preparing for ministry. And uh, I realized about uh, 45 minutes into the counseling session, this was not premarital counseling, it was marital counseling. I said, are you by any chance living together? And they said, sheepishly looking at each other, and they said, yes. Uh, Embarrassed to admit it to me, but obviously not too much to do it. And (laughs) I said, and you're planning on ministry, right? And what does, uh, you're going to what, teach the Bible? Oh, yes, we're going to teach the Bible. I said, tell me what the Bible, what's the Word of God, the infallible Word of God? I said, well, what does the Bible say about your living situation? Well, it says, don't, but we prayed about it, and God said it was okay for us in our situation. <laughs> That's the extreme case of working around to try to get the Bible to say what we want it to say and to dismiss it. It's very important if the Bible says don't, don't. Uh, now, there's an awful lot in the Bible. And as you read the Bible, for example, I read the one-year Bible whether you read um, part of the Old Testament every day, part of the New Testament, you get through the Psalms a couple times in a year in the book of Proverbs. Uh, And and the Old Testament can bog you down. Uh, I preached about this in another church a few weeks ago, and I was in the middle of Leviticus. And I must admit, there's not an awful lot of spiritual inspiration in the book of Leviticus. 
with one law after another and all kinds of specifications for it. <clears throat> the tabernacle <clears throat> and what the tabernacle is to have in every aspect of it. But even then, you see a God who plans, a God who's interested in detail, a God who's interested in the specifics of the life of his people as a corporate entity and as individual people. But it just so happens this morning, I'm in the opening parts of Deuteronomy, and the reading for day is the Ten Commandments, and a very uh, articulate exposition of the Ten Commandments and the instructions of what to do and what not to do, how important that is. If the Bible says don't, don't. If the Bible says do, do. The Bible has a lot to say about uh, how we live our lives in uh, positive ways. It has a lot to say about justice and righteousness and mercy and the beauty of walking into your sanctuary today and seeing in the hall out there all those magnificent uh, sweatshirts available. Uh, I don't know who it is that produces those. I uh, was looking at them, thinking of buying one or two of them because I'm a Boston boy and a lot of those are Eastern universities there. But to give these to people that need that kind of clothing and the food that you do and this is important and you do it as a congregation and you do it as individuals. The Bible says do, do. Uh, how we use our money, tithing. Uh, I know it's very uh, not talked about much in churches today, but our understanding of the Bible says everything we have is from God, a gift from God. And we're privileged to be the users of that and to give back the first fruits. I found in my own life, uh, Anne and I, years uh, as we've tithed uh, what God has given to us, uh, to not be the last check to write, but the first one. Um, when we get to the end of the bills, there's generally not a whole lot left at the end uh, for God. But to do it off the top to God and then let the rest of the resources fill in their way. This is the teaching of God's Word, the first fruits and the rest to be used as stewards, good stewards, by him. This is a positive teaching. If the Bible says do, do. If the Bible says don't, don't. Those are clear cut. Second are the neutral kinds of uh, decisions. Now these are, um, uh, for most of us, not a problem. But for some, I have known people who have overworked the will of God almost in a neurotic kind of way. What way do I drive to work today? I could, if I go the wrong way, have an accident. I could do, and it's a kind of a neurotic fear of, of uh, somehow stepping out of a circle that uh, it has to be precisely the will of God. Uh, A.W. Tozer, one of the great writers of spiritual uh, teaching uh, said it so beautifully when he said, uh, uh, our God is a shepherd, and the shepherd uh, leads the sheep, and the shepherd cares for the sheep, and uh, enables them to walk freely, and to graze freely, and to drink of good waters. Uh, he doesn't tell them to examine every blade of grass and so I think that's something to realize. Uh, most of us would not have this problem, but some do and are caught up 
immobilized by the neutral. But the big thing is the dilemmas, the things we just don't know, we've thought about, we're concerned about, and that's what we're going to wrestle with as we dig a little more deeply right now into this. In verse 5, James writes, If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God. Okay, do you recognize the lack? And then secondly, you turn and you ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. What a wonderful promise, isn't it? Who gives generously, ungrudgingly, and it will be given you, but ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It, it, we're called to trust the Lord with all of our heart, to lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge Him, and, and the promise comes what He will what? Direct our paths. So we have the privilege of claiming that. Uh, what I'd like to do now is, is give you some very specific um, guides in discovering the will of God. For some of you, you may be very familiar with these, but it's a good reminder for some of you, maybe brand new. But first, let me share an uh, experience of my own life. I had a father who was a very adventurous character. He was not always wise in those adventures. Uh, he was not a person of any technical abilities, nor did I inherit from him any of his uh, I inherited from him all of his lack of technical abilities myself. Uh, he had a boat. It was an 18-foot uh, motorboat, uh, speedboat, correct craft, much like a criss craft. It was one of those boats that you see no covering on it, uh, just a front seat with a driver uh, and two placed by them, and then the engine in the middle, and then a seat in the back. No covering on it. And he decided that he wanted to go down the Mississippi River. And uh, he had read about Mark Twain and all the exploits of uh, uh, some of the writings of those who did the Mississippi. So uh, we put this boat in um, on a uh, Monday uh, after Labor Day in 1960. I was 20 years old at the time. And headed off for Louisiana. We didn't even have river charts. But Dad did have the common sense to invite a friend of mine who was 18, who was technologically oriented and knew about boats and had serviced that boat a bit for him. So the three of us went, two of us totally innocent in terms of uh, the engine of the boat and its potential needs in a trip like that, and one of us having uh, some aptitudes, my friend. We took off from Starve Rock in uh, Illinois, we headed down the Illinois River, and within one hour we hit a log, and we broke our prop. And it just so happened that this young fellow with us had brought an extra propeller in case it should happen. There, under the water, without being able to hoist the boat up, one of us holding the boat away from the current, and the other two of us underwater trying to replace this prop, and it fell to the 
floor of the river, and I had to go down and retrieve it and, and hold the boat steady while my friend put this prop on. I didn't realize that little fish bite. And they were just biting away at me. And there's certain parts of my chest they bought it hurt uh, all the more. And, 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 and yet you had to hold steady, and he had to do this. We got it on. And then we had it on with one of us having to straddle the bow of the ship, of the boat, just to watch out for submerged objects like that log that we had hit. <laughs> now, the Illinois River is a fairly fast-moving river, but it's a pretty open river. We even did a little bit of water skiing on that. But uh, we came to St. Louis, and it was joined by the mighty Mississippi that came down from Minneapolis, up from uh, Minnesota, the Illinois fed into it and other rivers, and by the time you get to the Mississippi, you're dealing with a most amazing experience. If you look on the map and draw a line from Chicago down to Louisiana, it looks pretty straight. But the Mississippi River is not very straight. The Mississippi River winds its way down to the point there are ports which the river goes 340 degrees, almost circular, not quite, and around, and there are these huge sandbars. And there are barges on the river with huge wakes. And there, depending on the circumstances of the time, floating objects also, and there is a channel that the Army Corps of Engineers keeps clear. And you must stay between the red and the black buoys to be sure that you stay in that channel, or you can end up shipwrecked on one of those sandbars. Everything went well for us as we went our way until one night we miscalculated the sunset and darkness. When the sun went down behind the levee and the cloud cover came in almost simultaneously with that, it became pitch black in a matter of minutes. And there we are in the middle of the Mississippi River with the current taking us south, with our engine headed south, and we could not see where we were going. We were petrified. Pitch black. The only thing you could see would be if a freighter was coming and it had lights on it, but there were not many of those at that time of night. And we thought and thought, and I said, Dad, I see a light out there. And I said, I read somewhere that there are guide lights. Maybe they have them on the Mississippi. He said, okay. So we headed for that light. And we went that way for a while, and suddenly it disappeared, and we're in the darkness again. And I looked and looked, and there was another one over here, so we changed the direction and went that way. And it disappeared. And then we looked and looked, and then we saw another in the distance. And we followed those lights. I'm not sure, it seems like two hours, it may have been less than that, into Caruthersville, Missouri. And was I ever happy to see that little port town that most of us have never heard of before but safe in the harbor for the night. Not shipwrecked on a sandbar 
but following the channel lights. And I'd like for us to look at the will of God in those terms of six guidelines as we focus and conclude the message today. Channel lights that can line us up and give us the assurance that we are in the will of God. Channel light number one is what we've already said. What does the Bible have to say? What the Bible says. We've already mentioned. Where it says do, do. Where it says don't, don't. We need to take the Bible seriously. We need to be people of the book. And not just be people who go to the book and flip it open. I remember the story being told of a person who really needed to know the will of God. And they took the Bible and they opened it up. Perhaps you've heard the story. They put their finger in a verse that said, And Judas went out and hanged himself. No, that's not very good. And so they did it once again, and they opened up and put their finger in the page, Go thou and do likewise. Uh, that's not the way to handle it. It's to have some kind of knowledge of the Scriptures in their entirety. And that is a starting point for the will of God. The second one is prayer. Prayer is very, very important in this. To pray to really know the will of God and to pray understand that God knows things that we don't know. We're not praying that God does what we want, although I would suggest you have every right to pray that prayer with specificity for what you would like. There's nothing wrong with that. But as Jesus in that night in Gethsemane, that we honor this week in Holy Week, cried out before the Lord in prayer, let this cup be spared, but Father, not my will, but thine be done. That is the perfect prayer. With specificity to pray for what you think is best, but then to say, Lord, but really what I want is your best for my life. And I'm going to let you know a secret. I've prayed for some things and had some plans for my life, and they haven't worked out. I've learned through the years to pray this prayer even more specifically than what I mentioned here, and that is, God, this is what I would like to happen. This is what seems to make sense. But please slam the door shut on me if it isn't your will, because I've discovered in the past that some of the things that I've wanted have not been the best for me. I have to admit, I've been blessed to serve some wonderful churches, but I've never received a call to a church that I wanted to go there. The churches I had in mind turned me down. And I had to wait patiently. In one situation, when we were pastoring an associate in Tulsa, uh, and uh, persons that uh, I respected put my name into churches on the East Coast, on the West Coast, and I never heard a word from those churches. And then out of the total blue came a call to the little church in Key Biscayne, Florida, and we went there and had what we call the Camelot years of our ministry, just joyful, wonderful years, a little 280-member church, but right in the middle of all kinds exciting things going on both in the life of our nation because that was where Nixon had a uh, winter White House and also uh, uh, the dolphins were undefeated and all those things and I, <laughs> I was chaplain of the undefeated dolphin team 
I never could have prayed about or dreamed of anything like that. And a college buddy of mine happened to be in the dentist chair, and his dentist said, we just had a heartbreak this week. The person accepted a call to be the pastor just withdrew his name, and we're back to zero. And with his mouth gagged, he pulled the thing aside. I've got a friend who went to college with, I think he's out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You might be interested in him, and they gave a call, and that call took forever to happen. It didn't happen easily. And I had a 25% negative vote of the congregation. And the chairman of the committee said, you aren't going to accept that, are you? I said, well, I was going to go into politics, and 51% would be. Well, he said, in the ministry, I thought it was 95%. I said, no, I'm going to. And we had, after the first year, that was a little bit difficult, some of the greatest days of our life in ministry um, to pray about. And again, to genuinely, as I, 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 I just am touched very much by the agony of our Savior as he, in his humanity, cried out to the Father. Here is God himself in human form, knowing he's going to suffer the most ignominious and painful death there is. Let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Prayer. Three, uh, external circumstances. Uh, with my technological aptitudes, I should never have ever even thought of doing a PhD in physics or, or in any kind of mechanical or technological things. I'm not good with mathematics. We have a daughter that was outstanding in that area. Uh, I myself, uh, it's just very clear that there are some areas that I would have to avoid because I don't have gifts in those areas. And the external circumstances of our lives can speak to us uh, and can be part of God's guidance as to uh, what we do and don't do, that we not fantasize uh, into areas that are not our gifts are able to concentrate on the gifted areas of our life that make some sense, which leads to the fourth, and that is the counsel of godly friends. The counsel of godly friends. Now make sure those friends are godly. It's important to have friends that you're talking to who really understand themselves discovering the will of God and doing the will of God. And uh, here I'm going to be very uh, honest with you. Um, the toughest decision Anne and I ever made in our life was whether or not to stay at the First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh or to come out to St. Andrews. And that was back in 1978. And the chairman of the committee, John Miller, flew into Pittsburgh to see us. He was very persistent. And that was a great Gothic cathedral. In fact, we're going back there uh, next month to celebrate the 250th anniversary of that great congregation, a great Gothic cathedral at the heart of the city. Ironically, 200 PCUSA Presbyterian churches within 11 miles of that church because in the clearances, the Scots moved to the Carolinas and to western Pennsylvania. In fact, it was said uh, one out of every five Presbyterians in the world lived within 50 miles of Pittsburgh, as including Scotland. Some wags said, yes, Presbyterians are denser in Pittsburgh than anywhere else in the world. Let that go by the side as to the <laughs> definition of what they're saying there. But that was beautiful stained glass Tiffany windows, 
a sanctuary jam full of people every Sunday. And uh, we came out to St. Andrews and uh, we looked at it and, and uh, went back to Pittsburgh. And, and uh, my father and mother said that would be a big mistake to leave Pittsburgh. I can mention names of people you know in Christian leadership uh, that uh, counseled against it and said, uh, it makes no sense for you to leave this. I was the 11th pastor in uh, 200 years at that point, and the average was 20 years apiece, except for one of them who had a health break and went and taught at Pittsburgh Seminary. And yet, I noticed (coughs) Anne being a California girl, and she's agreed that I can say this. Uh, We loved Pittsburgh. We had good friends there. And uh, I noticed when the last of the leaves were raked and the Allegheny (coughs) fog, smog settled in for the winter, it was like uh, she sort of closed up. And then when the first tulips or chrysanthemums, whatever you call it, the little uh, daffodils come up in the spring, she began to blossom. But also... It was a very chauvinistic city, and here we were living in the suburbs. The women uh, worked in the suburbs as as housewives, and uh, the men commuted downtown. We'd go to events there, and people would nod at her and talk to me. Uh, That was sort of the way it was there. And here she was a person in her own right with uh, interests and to be cultivated, and uh, I, uh, I had said yes to come out on the call here. And then one of my associates came in and said, I just talked with Ann. She said, if you're doing this for her, she doesn't want that. You need to withdraw your name. And I called her and she said, that's absolutely right, John. I don't want the blame for you making a move. And I immediately withdrew my name and called about a a half of the 46 male elders of the church on the session to tell them I refused Uh, that I was withdrawing my name and I was going to stay. And they expressed great joy, although as I left the church that afternoon, walking down the stairs, and one of the elders who cried when he heard I was leaving, and he said, oh, he said, I'm so glad you're saying, but he said, you know, I cried when I heard you were leaving. Don't, Don't ever do this kind of thing again. And the fact that I cried, my wife said, I cry every time they open a new A and P. Uh, that's an eastern grocery chain. I don't know if they have them out here. And as I walk in the springtime sleeting rain uh, to my car, tears streaming down my face, what have I done? I said yes, and then no, and then I go home, and it wasn't a pleasant meeting with Ann. And the next few days were tough days. Until a friend of mine went on the golf course, he said, John, said, why don't you, this is about two, three weeks later, why don't you put your name back in again? And that 15-member committee at St. Andrews, probably there are enough of them so mad at you they would never trust you in any way. And, but if God really wants you there, put it in their hands. And I did, and uh, we did. And our life together was a very good, peaceful life when we didn't know whether we were staying in Pittsburgh or coming out here, and it took about another four months or so for that to clarify, and we came, Um, and uh, uh, 
but uh, the counsel of godly friends. Uh, the next is, uh, and, and those, those godly friends, it's very interesting that those godly friends who counseled against us, years later, every one of them came around to saying it was the right thing. We see it now. We couldn't see it then. And, and, and I can see it now. But the next is, what is the loving thing to do? Now, in this case, I would like to say I ended up doing the loving thing. But I didn't always carry it out in a loving way. In the first couple of years I was here, I would tend to look back over my shoulder. We realized we had a building program. There were other things that we needed to do. And, and, and the going was tough. And there was a group in the church that um, I was too evangelical for. And, uh, and all of these things had to be sorted out in those days. And it was easy to say, uh, looking back, but uh, the importance is, uh, are we doing the loving thing? But the progression of these, see, what does the Bible say? Prayer, uh, external circumstances, the counsel of godly friends. You don't do the loving thing first without any consulting with the word of God, prayer, uh, the external circumstance, and godly friends. But at this point, the loving thing can be a very, very helpful guide. And all I'm saying is, even the loving thing can be done at times in an unloving way. And that's something I've had to learn through the years. And finally, if you take each of these guidelines, just picture them as we're going down the Mississippi. It was 1,500 miles we went in five and a half days until finally a hurricane came up at the Gulf and we had to uh, dock the boat, and uh, my dad had hoped to get it all the way to Florida, to Orlando. That didn't happen, but we went some 1,500 miles in five and a half days, sleeping on the edge of the river, or a couple times at a motel uh, in a little town by the river, and a great, great experience of, 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 of the guide lights down the river. Finally, the sixth guide light is when all five of you done, and you still don't know what to do, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> and I say that not to get a laughter from you, but to say by that point, that point, you have conformed yourself to Scripture. You've prayed about it. The external circumstances, the counsel of godly friends, the loving thing, then do what you want to do because by that point, God would have guided you in ways as he guides his sheep. <coughs> the final verse I'll share with you and with a final observation. The final verse among the 417 in Scripture comes from Psalm. The psalmist cries out, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on a level path. That's Psalm 143, verse 10. But when all is said and done, remember this. You have not only the privilege of a blueprint for life, but more important than that, you know the architect personally. And you're able to consult with the architect 
even as the architect is unfolding the blueprint before you. Dear God, you know each of us. You know the challenges of life today. I thank you for this congregation and its ministry through all these years here in Costa Mesa. Continue to watch over this congregation as a congregation and each person of each age in this group gathered together this morning. And Lord, whatever stage we are in life, we know we need to know your will and do it. And thank you that we can know it. And you walk with us and you enable us to do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Brian and Tim for that beautiful musical reminder. And we come <clears throat> to the time in our service now where we receive our offerings, but where we also express our gratitude for all that we have been given so that we in turn can give back. Blessed are you, O Lord, maker of all things. We know that the cattle on a thousand hills are yours. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts, our very selves, our time, our possessions. We are grateful. Receive us, use us and what we bring that we may share in feeding the world with your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stay.
You may be seated. So I owe who I am as a disciple of Christ from sitting under the teaching of Dr. John Huffman for about 20 years at St. Andrews. He baptized me into the faith. And as he was preaching about the will of God today, I have a prayer in my arsenal of prayers that God has answered 100% of the time for me. Every time I've prayed this prayer, I will go right, I will go left, I will go or I will stay. Whatever the dilemma it is that I am facing, if you will be crystal clear with me, Lord, I will do it. Make my path narrow. And 100% of the time, he has answered that for me. Thank you, John. Paul reminds us in Romans that our love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above ourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Will you please pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we thank you for this day and the opportunity to worship together publicly and without persecution, unlike so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ across the globe. We pray for a fresh indwelling of your Holy Spirit to strengthen our zeal for the good news. Father, we thank you for the rains and how they have helped to quench our parched earth and extinguish the drought. We pray for those who have lost so much as a result of the recent storms, their homes, their livelihood, their sense of stability and security. Be with each one according to their need. Prompt neighbor to help neighbor and show us how we can be a help and a part of the restoration. With more storms on the way, we pray for the levees and the rivers to hold their banks. We pray for shelter and resources and safety for those who are unhoused and vulnerable to protect their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. These storms are continuing across our country and spawning several dangerous tornadoes. Lord, we pray for the safety of all that may be in harm's way. We pray, too, for those who have already been afflicted from the tornadoes yesterday. Be with each. Bring help quickly. We pray for comfort for the families and neighbors grieving the 26 who lost their lives in Mississippi yesterday. Be with each one and touch the depth of their hurting places as only you can do, O Lord. Merciful God, as Lent is drawing to a close soon, the cross is before us, and we pray that you would draw us closer. 
Give us a deeper sense of meaning for what you sacrificed for us on the cross and our ongoing relationship with you. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear from you now and in the days ahead. Father, our congregation has been knocked around recently. We continue to grieve deeply the passing of several of our longtime friends. Console us, Holy Spirit. Young and old alike are suffering from upper respiratory issues. Bring healing and rest. We pray for those in our midst that need your healing presence. We lift up to you Sam, Dorothy, Jim, Patty, Buzz, Keith, Lou, Royce, Donna, Roberta, and Reverend Sharon, and those that we silently name in our hearts now. May your ever-present spirit be with each one and restore them to full health. Lord, we pray for your blessing for rest and rejuvenation this week for Pastor Jason, Malia, and their family. We thank you, too, for bringing Dr. John Huffman and Dr. Ann Huffman to worship with us today. May your hand of health and wholeness be on them both. And we continue to pray for wisdom for our pastors and elders as they discern your next steps for this local kingdom outpost. Use each one of us as a mighty presence for your good news that all will come to repent and know you as Lord and Savior. And remind us, Lord, to be joyful in hope, patient in our afflictions, and ever faithful in our prayers. We continue praying as you taught your disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you are able, please stand for our final sending hymn.
a benediction. I see Gretchen Franklin here. Her son, Bill, was on that committee of 15 that called me to St. Andrews and us there 45, 46 years ago. And uh, we're very grateful for that. And uh, the word from the Lord as we go, go trusting and obeying. And I'll assure you, you'll be going, walking in the center of God's will. God bless you. Thank you for the privilege of being here.